Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of Yersinia entericolytica found under the microbiology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A two-year-old girl presents to her pediatrician with one week of low-grade fevers, initially watery diarrhea, which became bloody today, and abdominal pain. Her parents report that when they saw some blood in the diarrhea, they were alarmed and decided to bring her in. On physical exam, the girl has sunken eyes and dry mucous membranes. Her belly is tender to palpation in the right lower quadrant. A bedside abdominal ultrasound demonstrates a normal appendix. A stool sample is sent for studies. Meanwhile, she is given supportive care for treatment. Let's continue with an introduction to Yersinia entericolytica. As a reminder, Yersinia entericolytica is classified as a non-modal, gram-negative, facultative intracellular bacillus. It is non-lactose fermenting, oxidase-negative, and does not produce hydrogen sulfide. It requires iron as an essential growth factor. It is transmitted via ingestion of contaminated foods such as unpasteurized milk or raw pork or seafood, and it causes gastroenteritis and pseudoappendicitis. In terms of the epidemiology, this is more common in infants and children. Risk factors include daycare centers, drinking or eating unpasteurized milk products, and iron overload, such as in the setting of chronic hemolysis and hereditary hemochromatosis. In terms of the pathogenesis, the bacteria invade tissue and proliferate in Peyer's patches. They produce enterotoxin similar to E. coli heat-stable toxin. Conditions that are associated include erythema nodosum and reactive arthritis. With regards to the prognosis, this is typically self-limited. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms may include acute diarrhea, which may be bloody, abdominal pain that may be in the right lower quadrant, and vomiting. On exam, one may note a low-grade fever and tenderness to palpation of the abdomen. In terms of further imaging, abdominal CT is indicated when there is suspected appendicitis. Findings in this setting will be a normal appendix. In terms of further studies, stool studies should be sent to evaluate the quantity of white blood cells and be cultured. And when making the diagnosis, remember that this is based on clinical presentation. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about acute appendicitis, with distinguishing factors being that an ultrasound or CT will demonstrate an enlarged appendix. In terms of treatment, remember that the mainstay of treatment is supportive care. Antibiotics can be used in severe cases or immunocompromised patients. Conservative options include supportive care, which is indicated in all patients. Specific modalities include hydration. Medical options include aminoglycosides. This is indicated as first-line treatment for those who need treatment. Another option is cephalosporins. This is indicated as second line. Another option is trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. This is also indicated as second-line treatment. And finally, complications related to Yersinia entericolytica include mesenteric vessel thrombosis and necrotic bowel and intussusception. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to Yersinia entericolytica, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A four-year-old male 
presents to the pediatrician with a one-week history of fever, several days of bloody diarrhea, and right-sided abdominal pain. The mother explains that several other children at his son's pre-K have been having similar symptoms. She heard the daycare owner had similar symptoms and may have had her appendix removed, but the mother claims this may have just been a rumor. Based on the history, the pediatrician sends for an abdominal ultrasound, which demonstrates a normal vermiform appendix. She then sends a stool sample for culturing. The cultures demonstrate a gram-negative bacteria that is modal at 25 degrees Celsius, but not at 37 degrees Celsius. It is non-lactose fermenting and non-hydrogen sulfide producing. What is the most likely causative agent? And the answer choices are, choice one, Yersinia enterocolitica. Choice two, enterotoxigenic E. coli. Choice three, Vibrio cholera. Choice four, Clostridium perfringens. Or choice five, rotavirus. The best answer to this question is, choice one, Yersinia enterocolitica. The four-year-old is presenting with gastroenteritis caused by Yersinia enterocolitica, which he most likely contracted from other children at the daycare. Yersinia enterocolitica is a zoonotic, gram-negative cacobacillus that is modal at 25 degrees Celsius, but not at 37 degrees Celsius, and is not a lactose fermenter or a hydrogen sulfide producer. It is typically transmitted in the feces of pets and is found in contaminated milk and pork. Infections are commonly seen in daycare centers and in the northern climates. Yersinia enterocolitica typically causes gastroenteritis in the infected individuals, with the following presentations. Infants present with a fever with bloody diarrhea that contains pus. Adolescents may present with symptoms that mimic Crohn's disease or appendicitis, and adults present with diarrhea. Treatment is usually supportive, but fluoroquinolones or third-generation cephalosporins can be prescribed. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Enterotoxigenic E. coli is a gram-negative rod that is a lactose fermenter. It causes traveler's diarrhea. Choice 3. Vibrio cholera is a gram-negative oxidase-positive comma-shaped bacteria that grows in alkaline media, which causes rice water diarrhea. Choice 4. Clostridium perfringens is a gram-positive obligate anaerobic bacillus that can also cause gas gangrene. Choice 5. Rotavirus is a double-stranded RNA virus that is a major cause of gastroenteritis in children and is a common cause of acute diarrhea for those who are in daycare and kindergarten. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A three-year-old boy is brought by his parents to the pediatrician with fevers, abdominal pain, and diarrhea for the past week. His diarrhea has been streaked with blood since early this morning. The boy has had a diminished appetite in the past week, but had no recent change in diet prior to the onset of symptoms. His mother states that the parents of several preschool classmates of her son have mentioned that their kids have experienced similar symptoms in the past few weeks as well. On physical exam, the boy exhibits tenderness to palpation in the right lower quadrant of the abdomen. Ultrasonography is performed and demonstrates a normal appendix without signs of inflammation. The patient is recommended treatment with supportive care. Which of the following organisms is most likely responsible for this boy's symptoms? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Escherichia coli Choice 2. Campylobacter jejuni Choice 3. 
rotavirus. Choice 4, Shigella dysentery. Or choice 5, Yersinia entericolitica. The best answer to this question is choice 5, Yersinia entericolitica. This young patient with diarrhea and pseudoappendicitis most likely has infection with Yersinia entericolitica, which is common in infants and children. Yersinia entericolitica is a gram-negative facultative intracellular rod that is transmitted via the ingestion of contaminated foods such as milk and pork or pet feces. Infants and children are the most likely demographic to become infected with daycare centers being a source of high transmission rates. The classic symptoms of Yersinia entericolitica infection include acute diarrhea that may be bloody, abdominal pain that may be in the right lower quadrant, low-grade fevers, and vomiting. Abdominal imaging should be performed to rule out appendicitis, as Yersinia entericolitica infection will show a normal appendix. The mainstay of treatment is supportive care, though antibiotics can be used in severe cases or in immunocompromised patients. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Escherichia coli is a common cause of diarrhea, including enteropathogenic E. coli and enterohemorrhagic E. coli. However, this patient with symptoms of bloody diarrhea and pseudoappendicitis acquired in the setting of a daycare with multiple other infected children is more likely to have Yersinia entericolitica infection. Choice 2. Campylobacter jejuni is a major cause of bloody diarrhea, especially in children, and is commonly transmitted through ingestion of undercooked, contaminated chicken or unpasteurized milk. This patient's clinical picture is more suggestive of Yersinia entericolitica infection. Choice 3. Rotavirus is a major cause of gastroenteritis in infants worldwide. However, routine vaccination of infants for rotavirus makes this diagnosis less likely in this patient. Choice 4. Shigella dysentery can cause bloody diarrhea, though cases of dysentery are more often treated with antibiotics rather than with supportive care, as in this patient's case. Finally, a bullet summary. Yersinia entericolitica typically presents with bloody diarrhea and pseudoappendicitis in young infants and children. That's all for this review about Yersinia entericolitica. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 podcast.